You're listening to WGSN-DB, Going Solo Network, Singles Talk Radio Channel, where we take a lighthearted and candid approach to discussions on the journey of relationship loss, divorce, parenting, being single, relationships building, dating, and yes, sex. Join our listeners and begin living your best life. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the WGSN DB Going Solo Network, Going Solo Veterans Corner. I'm your host again, retired Army First Sergeant Paul Holbert. And uh, as you know, our show is designed to connect veterans from across the United States and allow them to share their experiences and their lives and how they've made their adjustments back to um, into their communities. Before we meet our guest tonight, I want to thank our sponsor, Quest Jewelers of Merrifield, Virginia. Whether it's quality jewelry or a special custom-made piece, Quest can deliver it for you. So visit them at questjewelers.com and tell Pete and Juan Tane what it is you're looking for, and they'll be sure to help you out. So as we get started, first of all, I want to introduce tonight's guest. He's a World War II veteran, Pete Anastasi. Pete served as a member of the U.S. Army in Northern Africa and returned home to Manassas where he was discharged later in 1946. He met his wife, Betty, at a USO dance of all places, and we want to hear about that story. And they were married in June of 1945, if you can believe it. He's had a number of jobs throughout his life after he left the military, as many young people do but then settled into a career as a civil servant for the U.S. government printing office in the Department of Interior, where he later retired. He currently resides with his wife of 75 years, Betty in Manassas. So, Pete, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really great to have, have you on the show, especially, you know, a World War II veteran like yourself. And you know, it's hard to believe that I'm sitting here talking to a man that is 99 years old and, and still enjoying life. And, you know, we're, we're anxious to hear about your story. So if you don't mind, let's start out um, with how you got into the military. I know it was early World War II. Um, were you drafted or were you one of those folks that went and signed up? No, I enlisted. Uh uh, my enlistment uh, took place in Syracuse, New York. I went to, uh, when I knew I was going to be drafted, I'd already gotten my draft papers. Uh, I called them and told them I was going to come in and I wanted to enlist in a particular branch of the Army or the Navy, whichever I could get in. And I went to the Navy first, and uh, they turned me down. They said my right eye wasn't strong enough to uh, be a na- in the Navy. And then I went to uh, the Marines, and uh, they really shook me. I said, forget it. And I said, okay. So I went back to Army office, and I talked to them, and uh, they interviewed me. And first thing you know, they uh, signed me up, and away I went. And from there, uh, they sent me. Uh, I, I told them if I had a choice of any particular branch of military while I was in the office, they said, yeah. What do you want? I said, I want to get in the Signal Corps part. Oh, great. We'll put you down for that. So anyway, Paul, where do you think I wind up? Plattsburgh, New York, uh, a training place for World War I officers. Oh, man. When, when I, once I got in and was moved up there, 
they, uh, we were there, oh, I guess, two weeks for basic training. Well, we were there about eight days or so when a couple of buddies and I were getting ready for a weekend pass. We were all called into the auditorium, and the lieutenant said, got news for you. We're leaving this place. Oh, I mean, the bathrooms were all tiled. Remember, this was a, a officer's training post. And uh, tile floors and, oh, the bathrooms were beautiful. So anyway, we never got to go to Canada for our leave. And we, uh, they were, we were told to load our equipment on flatbeds, railroad cars. Uh, I was in the engine. It was the engineer, the 85th Heavy Pontoon Engineer. And where do you think they were from? Fort Belvoir, Virginia. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, we, we loaded up. And in 13 days of circumventing the United States, we finally made it to a place called Paris, Texas, the panhandle of Northeast Texas, yeah, from the beautiful place up in, New England, in uh, northern New York State. So from there, um, we, we got in our basic training. And uh, then the first thing you know, um, we were... Well, you back. We had a nice. When I'm, I'll go back to you and give you an idea of what we did coming down on the on the. We, we had to bring our. We had heavy pontoon boats shipped, and uh, our trucks were huge, big semi trailers, and we were in Pennsylvania. And my, I was on duty in one of the cabs of the, one of the trucks, and you know we were making the horseshoe curve in Pennsylvania. Beautiful sight. Have you ever heard of it and seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, boy, yeah, quite quite an interesting place. Well, anyway, we made it on down. We had uh, we only had one slowdown, and that was in Indiana. One of our vehicles was ready to slide off of a flatbed, and we had to stay there overnight. And the next day, away, they got it all fixed up, and we were on our way to uh, Texas. And once we got to Texas, of course, it was basic training, and uh, – I wasn't in Signal Corps. I was in the engineers. So kept on going. Now, do you want me to continue? Um, well, let's 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 talk about little big. You you ended up shipping overseas, and you went to North Africa. Yeah. Well, yeah. after you know, from Paris, Texas, uh, we went on to um, loaded us up and took us to uh, New Jersey, where we uh, got together, and then. We bought, loaded, uh, we were at uh, Camp Patrick, not Patrick Henry, but uh, what was that? Um, anyway, one of the posts, and we loaded up in the middle of the night, and uh, they took us from the campground to the ship. And we, we, we were lucky. It was only a battalion of 500 guys. And mm-hmm. we got to, when we got on, we were the last troop on, and we got to get on uh, the uh, A deck. And we were in the ballrooms where our bunks were lined up on the wall, of course, three high. But it was still nice. And uh, I gained a lot of weight on that going overseas, by the way. A lot of the guys were seasick and they wouldn't use up all their cards. But Pete did. And he used some of theirs. <laughs> it was fun. Anyway, then we landed uh, and going over. We, uh, well, let me get back to where we got on the ships. In three days, we weren't let off. We weren't allowed to go uh, out of the uh, out of the cabins uh, for three days. And on the third day, 
when we got out, able to get out, I looked out and man, you never saw so many ships in your life. Yeah. Freighters, uh, battleship, uh, destroyers, and you name it, a beautiful sight. And uh, we went on headed towards uh, North Africa. And uh, about three days before we got to North Africa, we, um, I, we, we, at night we could hear these loud noises. Said, what is that? And one of the guys said, oh, that's the, uh, the uh, things that they're shooting and dropping in the water for the uh, ward off the submarines. We were trailed by a group of subs. And when we got in the Straits of Gibraltar, uh, one of the uh, destroyers, um, one of their uh, bombs hit one of the submarines and uh, it, it went down. But, you know, the uh, crew came out of that sub and believe it or not, we got to see the skipper of that sub. Mm-hmm. And we landed in uh, Oran, North Africa. And then we were settled around and uh, displaced here, there, and did our jobs. And uh, one night when we were uh, in town, we had we used to get a little leave once in a while. And uh, in there, we having a good time. And uh, I had me a couple of jugs. And on the way back... Uh, we're just starting to get on the trucks when the uh, uh, the um, L- alert came on, and there was an air uh, alert. The uh, and they they said there were some German planes coming nearby, and we were on alert. And uh, we uh, started heading back to camp, but the uh, <laughs> our sergeant, like the rest of us, was we had a good time, and the MPs made us stop, and we had to get off the our trucks and I uh, and hit the dirt and uh and I didn't break a bottle of wine I was carrying either <laughs> so we got to camp okay but uh, that that was our first experience with the uh, activity and it was it was interesting and then from there um it was just uh we went to a, a place in um I forget not far from uh uh Algiers Algeria, where there was a big uh, river, and uh, we were stationed there to continue our training with uh, uh, bridge building and uh, pontoon work, and and we were training French officers <clears throat> how to also how to uh, use our uh, 150 horsepower Evinrudes, and uh, that was something too. And uh, it was always nice being with the French guys because they always carried a little wine in their and their uh, canteens, and we you know, we, you're, you know our, you're telling on yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, well, a little bit. No, I didn't. But uh, and then uh, yeah, we we're right there amongst all the Arabs. You know, a funny thing. Uh, one time, uh, one day, uh, one morning, uh, everybody was lined up. I said, "Where are they all going?" Everybody's got the GIs. They're going to the medics, and you better get in line because you're gonna. Okay, so I get in line. So I get up there, and lo and behold, a relative of mine is the captain, MD. And uh, oh. he says to me, what's your, he says, uh, okay, here's your medicine. I says, I don't want that. I says, I'm not having the same problem they are. I'm constipated. Well, that shook him. Yeah, Dr. Olakwa. Oh, it was fun. So anyway, we got that over with, and uh, it was a nice little little uh, place. Oh, and, and uh, Thanksgiving morning. We were all in line eating, you know, getting our grub from my canteens. And 
when all of a sudden uh, it was a rainy morning, wet and dark, and we hear this low-flying plane coming overhead, and we were right at the foot of a, a good-sized hill, and this guy, believe it or not, and sad to say, he never made it. It plowed right into the mountain. That was sad. So anyway, and and our training continued there, and it was time to move out. So before we moved out, I was in town one day, and believe it or not, I don't know what happened. First thing I know, I was in a convalescent hospital 80 miles away. Mm. I don't know what, where, where, or how, or what happened to me, but I, that's what happened. I was in a convalescent, and I was there for, oh, almost three months. And it was not, anyway, it was okay because I made some friends, and there was a few uh, British soldiers there, and I made a friendship with one called Patrick, and he and I used to play cribbage uh, every day and have our tea around 3 o'clock. Believe me, it was interesting. And then uh, I was a pest, and I usually am. Uh, one day um, I was going through the chow line in the morning, and I didn't like the food. I said to the cook, oh, what are you guys doing here? I says, you got this stuff, you can make it taste real good. Why are you making it so bad? Well, the captain heard this, and he says to me, hey, you you come back here and you help us. And I worked in the kitchen for a, two months after that. Believe uh -huh. it. Yeah. And I got pictures with me and my hat on and all that stuff. And after that, uh, I was uh, on some more training. On, I finally got to the telephone business. And I did uh, work on, uh, I took care of some telephone operations up there as part of my duties. And then one day they called me and said, we've had enough of you, we're sending you back. So <laughs> here I've departed. I mean, I've taken away from my battalion. And I was sad because I wanted to stay with those guys. They were fun. You know, I met a lot of GIs from New York and from here and from there. There's some Jewish boys and some Irish boys and we had great times, even though we were in, in the military. It was fun. So uh, I come back to the States, and where do you think I landed? Hampton Roads, Virginia. <laughs> and I came back on one of these uh, uh, converted aircraft, uh, Eisenhower, what do you call those uh, flatbeds? I mean, uh, ships that they convert to uh, air, air, air uh, flatbed if they needed it. And anyway, uh, from there, um, Uncle Sam, and I don't know why, I guess he didn't like me because they sent me all over the place, training here and training there. And I knew what they were doing. They were getting ready to ship me to the to the um, Pacific War Zone. Yeah. And uh, I trained in a number of places. One place in particular, in fact, my son is there now in, in Virginia, I mean, North Carolina, Camp Butner. And I was stationed there for a while. And uh, that turned now Camp Butner is a prison. It's a, and that's where, you know, this guy Mattis that's, that swiped all the money from people? Well, he's stationed there. And my son, when he transferred from his place here in Virginia, he was uh, in uh, prison industries. He transferred there. And I told him, and he was surprised that I had been training there during World War II. That's an interesting point for you. So you know, things, a lot of that, a lot of the places I'm sure that you've been around have changed so well, much. And yes. you made it back, finally made it back to Manassas 
Man, you got out of the army in what? In 1946, you got out, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to, you know, you, you had so many experiences and, but you know, one, one interesting thing I, I definitely want to, for you to share with the audiences. Now, I understand that you met your wife, Betty, at a USO dance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, before we got that far. Uh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. As I say, uh, I came uh, at uh, Butner and then I went to several other camps. And the first thing you know, uh, I get orders. They're going to ship me to the to the Pentagon. Wow. Here I I don't believe this. So anyway, uh, I was at Vint Hill. They sent me to a place called Vint Hill Farms in Virginia. There they broke code, Japanese code. We had a hundred nieces there, and you probably more know more about that than I do. But anyway, I was there for a while, and uh, one night, um, and every Saturday night, they used to send a pickup or a truck, whatever it was needed, to carry the GIs to Washington to the, to have time out, you know, fun, fun mm-hmm. night, night out. So this one night, I was slow brushing my teeth, as were about three other guys. And we got to the post, and the officer of the day said, sorry, guys, you missed the big truck to D.C. How about that? But he said, I'll see if I can do something for you. So he gets on the phone, comes back 15 minutes later. He said, I think there's a, he said, there's a place in Manassas, got a little USO, got half a dozen girls there, and they got some canned music and so forth. Okay. So I said, sure, let's go. So we got there and uh, start having our dancing and uh, our little uh, ginger ale and whatever cookies the ladies brought. It was a fun thing. Then I see this blonde, blue eyes. Oh, I says, I like that. And um, she could jitterbug, and I was a good jitterbugger from New York State. I mean, from Philly. But she said I jumped too much when I jitterbugged. So she cut me down. I leveled, I leveled off. I didn't jump anymore. And we made it. And we, well, we could jitterbug all over the place. And and first thing you know, um, I asked her to marry me. And her father had a little farm nearby. And uh, I said, that even being better. So I used to go there for a meal once in a while. And her, her mother made the best fried chicken you ever ate. And sure, she had her own farm. And she selected her own chickens. And uh, naturally, you're going to get some good chicken. And she did a good job. And hey, we had a whole lot of stuff. And uh, so Betsy and I hit, got married. And as a, and then, I mean, she's a pretty thing. And she's over here. Come on over here, Betsy. Let him, let him see you. And, and, uh, is she shy? She, oh, <laughs> she's not shy. She uh, just put no. down the act. There, there she is. How about that? Yeah. A 95-year-old babe. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to see you. Yes. Nice to see you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Pete. Well, let's let's do this. We're going to take a short break. And then when we come back. I'll read back, you the poem after you come back. Yeah, yeah. When we come back, we're going to have us have you tell us a little bit more about that story. So okay. for the audience, we're going to go to a commercial break, and we'll be right back. Okay, yeah. 
Are you looking for that special gift that will tell the one you love just how you feel without having to say a word? There's one place you're sure to find what you want. Quest Jewelers in Maryfield, Virginia. Whether your goal is to make a big splash for that special occasion or a simple reminder of how you feel, Quest has what you need to make it happen. Owners Pete and Wantane bring over 20 years of experience and customer service to make your purchase unforgettable. See what they can do for you at Quest Jewelers. That's www.questjewelers.com or call them at 877-660-0826. Whether your business is searching for the latest in innovative IT technology or support in management consulting services and training, Nationwide IT can help. A designated 8A and certified service, disabled veteran-owned small business, NIS's mission is to become a trusted partner with you, delivering cost-effective and innovative technology solutions. NIS has a portfolio of contract vehicles to easily access our talents and skills. Visit our website at nw-its.com or call 703-750-0453 and let us tell you how we can assist you in meeting your business or operational goals. You're listening to the WGSNDB Going Solo Veterans Corner and we've been talking with our guest tonight, World War II veteran Pete Anastasi and we're going to get back to the conversation. And uh, Pete, I know before the break you were telling us about how you met Betsy at the USO dance in Manassas and you were married in what, 1945, right? Yes, right. So there's an interesting story about that and that you wrote her. I think when you. Um, oh, I wrote her. I wrote I was so in love with this and still am with this beautiful girl that uh, she captured my heart, my soul and everything. I fell in love with her. I married her and we're still married and going at it. Seventy-five years later. So, would you, would you share later. the phone? Would you share the phone with us? Yes, uh, it's titled "My Wife." I once met a gal at a little old dance. She stole my heart. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> That's okay. Take your time. I once met a gal at a little old dance. She stole my heart at the very first glance. The same sweet gal I now call my wife. Is a heaven sent gift. I love all of my life. Mm. Now this bundle of love that's five foot two with eyes of blue has blessed our home with two jewels of life. One is a boy, cherished and sweet. The other a girl, darling and petite. I thank God for these treasures of life. This boy and girl, a wonderful life. My whole, my poem ends, but life begins because I have you, my dearest wife, the one I met at that little old dance and fell in love with at the very first glance, a soldier boy. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that is just so incredible. When I have to be honest with you, when I first read that too, it almost teared me up when I read it. I mean, it's, <laughs> It's just, and I can see why you guys are still going after 75 years. And the interesting thing is, you know, I watch a lot of the old war movies where they have these stories of, you know, soldiers falling in love at a USO dance with a, you know, with a lady there. But now to to see it in real life and, you know, hear it in your story. Um, So you guys, uh, you you and you and uh, Eddie have uh, two children, right? Yes, we do. A boy and a girl. Yeah. yeah he's, uh, as I told you earlier, uh, he lives in North Carolina. 
has got his own place and uh, he loves to work with automobiles. He restores cars, motorcycles, you name it. And our daughter, uh, she works here at the courthouse, juvenile domestic, Ellen, and uh, she does a great job at her work. Yeah. yeah, I had I had an opportunity to talk with Ellen on the phone a couple of times when we were setting up to do your story. She seemed like a really nice lady. She is. Yep, she's very nice. We were lucky. We have two nice children. Yeah, and she blessed us with a nice grandson. Now he's a a, a sophomore at uh, uh, Alabama U, so he's a Crimson Tider. Oh, so you yeah. just had the one grandchild so far. That's all one grandson. Wow, and it's hard to it's hard to believe, you know, that you're you're up where you're at, you and your wife, and you only have the one grandchild. Yeah. Usually, usually you have a slew of them. That's the way nature goes. Yeah, yeah, you do. So anyway, uh, we're glad uh, we enjoyed the family, and uh, we try to stay together as much as possible. So there you are. Well, let's let's talk a little bit. I know that um, you finished your time in the military and you spent some you spent some time working for the government printing office and the Department of Interior as a um, career civil servant. And I know while you were there, you were involved, especially with the GPO in a, a program that I remember hearing about, uh, you know, back in the day uh, when they did their nature stamp programs, and I think you were involved in one involving the duck version of that, weren't you? Well, the duck version came on after I went to the Department of Interior, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I got all my basic uh, printing and uh, whatever at the government printing office. Uh, I, when, I, uh, when I was in Manassas, and after we had gotten married, uh, I, I tried to I uh, went back to my job up in Syracuse, New York, and we were up there about five years, and uh, the company I worked for didn't come through with all the promises they made, so I said, okay, guys, I've got an only child, wife, and I'm going to take her back to her folks in Virginia and start over again, and that's what I did. We came back to Virginia, and while we were here, um, I first thing I did was I had a job at a dairy plant, bottling milk and uh I had a, a route um, also, I took uh, milk to the different plants around here, the hospital in Warrington and Vint Hill Farm. And uh, then I, I, I said, I can't be doing this all my life. So I put in an application for a government job and I made it by the skin of my teeth, but I made it. It's because you might remember I was a high school dropout, but that didn't bother me. Yeah. A, uh, they gave me a job. And I uh, started with publications, and we would I would answer requests, mail requests, and uh, phone requests from the hill or wherever, asking for different books about how to raise roses, how to build a barn, and you name it. And there were, for a nominal fee, the government would send you the publication. And then after that, um, one day while I was at the office, my supervisor called me and said, uh, hey, he said, uh, there's a guy that's uh, got some bird drawings here. Uh, uh, how to identify birds in flight while you're hunting. Because, you know, a wild waterfowl change their colors sometimes, certain ones. 
and you have to know exactly which bird you're shooting when you're shooting waterfowl or you're going to get pinched. So anyway, the booklet was called Bird uh, Ducks at a Distance. Uh, so, and I promoted that through this different sources, and we sold over 2 million copies. And one thing led to another, and uh, finally one day one of the uh, chiefs from the Depart- Department of Interior came with the artist, Bob Hines, and talked to me and told me what was next and asked me if I'd be interested in going to work over there. I says, yeah, if you'll give me a grade raise. And they did. They gave me a two-grade raise. And I went over to Interior Department, and I promoted a lot of their publications, Birds in Our Lives, a book that that uh, uh, people uh, that want to know about uh, what birds do in our world. You know, you got birds on coins. you got birds on stamps. You name it, and there's birds. Anyway, my my particular purpose was in seeing that the public got to know about these booklets, and I promoted them. And in fact, one time uh, I was on several congressional committees promoting uh, uh, health. Uh, Dr. DeBecky, the world's surgeon, he came in, got him in one time to do a little promotion so that we could promote his publication. And uh, uh, we had... um, What's his name here? Um, I can't think of the name right now. But anyway, uh, one of the baseball guys came in, and he was in charge of the President's Council on Physical Fitness. And I, I promoted booklets about his project. And I worked with others in congressional committees in promoting publications that the government put out so that they would know that what's available to them and get the best benefit out of the publications. Yes, I I know you uh, you work in a number of those areas, and I believe there was one project you worked on um, where you set up presentations with the Daughters of American Revolution, too, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, when I was at GPO, I used to, I was a real promoter. I don't know. (laughs) Crazy. But anyway, um, I heard that uh, this book was coming out on uh, ships of the American Revolution. And I said, gee, we've got to promote this book because it's it should be uh, should be advertised. So to start with, I, I call the uh, DAR and I says, hey, how would you like it if my boss came over and gave a talk on what the book was all about, the books the series was all about? And uh, Carper Buckley, who was chief of the superintendent of documents division, uh, went over and they interviewed him and hey, got him on to speak over there at the DAR. He was tickled to death. And so was I because I was able to promote that deal. And then Stan Musials, another guy I was trying to think of, he came in and we promoted his book, Vim and Vigor, a story about how boys and girls should exercise and things like that. And this is Stan Musials, the, the baseball player. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The old timer. Yeah. And um, then I did a lot of this while I was in interior, and I started working with the art, wildlife artist. And uh, he, uh, the, the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, puts out a duck stamp every year for waterfowl hunters to buy and use to hunt. If you don't have a federal duck stamp, you're going to get fined if you're hunting bird waterfowl. So this, the, the, the photo or the, the design on that stamp comes from a contest. 
And we organize and put out notices that anyone that's an artist can join. And they they come in. We One year we had 2,008 entries. After that, I said, hey, that's too many. Uh, because a lot of them were mothers that were sending their child's, their children's designs in. And they were, uh, the, the uh, design had to be anatomically accurate. And kids were sending in stuff with crayon drawings and all that. And no way, you know. So we, we straightened that out and nothing but the professionals came in after that and or whoever, you know. But you weren't getting that everything. And uh, yeah, and uh, each year when the artist wins, his design uh, is put on a, on a stamp, the waterfowl stamp, and the government gives the winning artist a full sheet of that stamp that's printed usually over to, we used to be at the Bureau of Engraving. And he gets that for, that's Uncle Sam's gift to him. And then he copyrights it and he sells limited editions. And at the beginning, they weren't making a whole lot, but it got so that the collecting those designs became a business. And some of those artists were making over a million dollars a year. Yeah, one the winning artist for the 50th design uh, came from Mobile, Alabama, uh, he he won, and I, I talked to him a short time after he'd gotten his winning, and he said that he made over $2 million, and before you could say, ooh. And now they still do that. I mean, that stamp is still put out every year, and there's an artist that wins. Right now there's a group of brothers in, in Missouri, uh, Miss, in uh, Indiana, no, um, well, anyway, out in the Midwest, the Hoffman brothers, They've they've sort of taken <laughs> taken a good hand in uh, three I think it's three brothers and the mother but the brothers have won several times each which is a pretty remarkable thing and and they're uh, great artists I mean I've seen some of their work uh, I never was uh, I, I never was working there when they entered but uh, I sure did see it afterwards and here about two years ago. They called up and asked me to be a judge on one of the contests over at Harper's Ferry in Virginia. And I sat on the panel there and uh, helped select a winning design. And that was about it. These uh, designs are great. You've been, I mean, you've been involved in so much, you know, after you spent your time over in the, you know, in the European theater and coming home and being the love of your life and having another career as a civil servant and, I know your your wife as well. Um, she had a uh, pretty long career um, in the area as well, didn't he? About forty two years she worked for the county. Oh yeah, she was. She she sure did. Yeah, yeah. So you two have been definitely active around the community, and I know since you retired, you know you were involved in the outdoors. You did a lot of fishing and things like that, and then your wife was involved in garden clubs in the community. And it yeah, just sounds great. like you two have yeah. really been able to live a wonderful life so far. And, you know, speaking of my wife, I'm going to let this one go. Um, when every time we'd go to a, a party somewhere in town, all the judges and lawyers and everything were there. I was there, but she was the one that got all the attention. I just had my drinks and talked to the guys on the sideline. But it was fun. You know how that goes. Whenever we show up somewhere with the wives, 
they get all the attention, and I know. Just, we're just the, the arm hangers, aren't we? Especially when you got a pretty blue-eyed blonde, you know? So anyway, and you know, when I retired from the uh, government, I uh, my son called me up and said, uh, come on out to Lake Jackson, a place nearby here. Yeah. And he said, uh, there's a little property for sale. So I went out there with him, and it was all falling apart. He said, we're going to put this together and sell it. Well, let's start it a little something. We started buying some of these dilapidated places, and I would work until, in fact, I did so much in a couple of years that I burned out, and I said to him, I'm, we're quitting. So we sold the business, but uh, that's what we did for a while, restored. In fact, when I bought my own home, it was just uh, the basement was unfinished. I finished that right from scratch. I paneled it and walnut fireplace and oh, all that kind of stuff. I liked that. That was good. So here I am getting up in 99 years and uh, plowing away yet, I hope. Still still going and, and still got the love of your life with you, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. So. Such a, I mean, it, it, it's such a wonderful story, you know, and, and to have you on and have you share your experiences as a veteran and, and your experiences throughout your life and all the things you've been doing. Yeah. But b- before we kind of close the show out, there's, a, there's usually a question that I ask our veteran guests and I'm going to ask you as well. If there was, if there was a thought or a lesson that you would like to share or other veterans or just our audience in general, if there was one special thought that you think you could share with them, what would that be? Oh, I don't know. Just keep your chin up and do what you can. Uh, and don't sit down. Just keep going. Try to do the best you can and and help others when you can and try to make others happy if you can do that too without being a pest like I am sometimes. But anyway, <laughs> no, that's part of the secret is uh, keep doing and and keep helping others if you can and your and your spouse or whatever family yeah, yeah i mean it's, it's and uh your military is a great thing i'm i'm glad i was a gi and uh, uh if i had to do over again i'd be right there with them yeah it was great and uh well you get that brotherhood from being in the military and being you know around the other veterans and and, um, you know, I just want to I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for being on the show and and as a fellow veteran for your service and, you know, your your ability to, to just enjoy your life to the fullest to this point, because you are you are such an inspiration to so many people to be able to sit and hear your story and talk with you. And, and I can just say that I'm very honored to have you as a fellow veteran and to see what you're still capable of doing. Well, thank you for your comments. It's very kind of you. And, and I appreciate your giving me an opportunity to, to tell a little bit about what I did during the war and what I'm doing now. Well, right now we're in a retired home and assisted living. It's a great place where we're getting, we get fed three times a day and, they put us to sleep at night and get us up in the morning, and uh, it's nice. And right now they're decorating for the holidays so that we can get in the Christmas spirit and help others to stay in, get into the Christmas spirit too. 
Well, that's, you know, I mean, and I know a lot of that is safety driven. You know, we hope that you and your wife will be able to enjoy a nice holiday there, you know, with the rest of the residents of your home. And again, Pete, I want to thank you for being on the show. And maybe we can get you to come on and do a follow-up with us sometime after the holidays if you're up to it. What do you think? Well, if I got the, if you think you can put up with me, I'll be glad to help anytime. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we I got a lot of guts, you know. <laughs> All right, Pete. Well, thank you very much for spending the time with us this evening. Thank and you. Thank you very I think, much. Thank I you think for that might be wife. Thank you for having Mandy here to help me with this computer here and seeing that this all functions properly and on target. All right. Well, thank you, Pete. And we'll be talking with you again soon. Right. Okay. All right. And thank you for all of our listeners this evening. As you know, it's that time of the year during the holidays. And we want to make sure that we reach out to the audience to give them an opportunity to look at um, service opportunities to help our nation's veterans. So you'll see on your screen there, helping vets during the holidays. There are a number of VA uh, volunteer services. You can look it up at www.volunteer.va.gov and see if there's something that you can do in your community to help our nation's veterans during this holiday period for those that really need the help. So I want to thank everybody tonight for listening to our show on the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. This has been our Veterans Corner. We hope that you as veterans are out there living your best life. And as always, we want to thank you for your service. And we look forward to seeing you on our next broadcast. You're listening to WGSN DB Going Solo Network, Singles Talk Radio Channel, where we take a lighthearted and candid approach to discussions on the journey of relationship loss, divorce, parenting, being single, relationships building, dating, and yes, sex. Join our listeners and begin living your best life.